What is a joy to be with you to worship our great and glorious God together, the blessed triune God. And it's to His Word that we turn now. We turn to the book of Philippians. So open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1 as we continue to hear the Word of God. Our text this morning is Philippians 1 verses 27 through 30 as we consider a life worthy of the gospel. A life worthy of the gospel. Philippians 1 verse 27. Hear now the word of the Lord. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that I that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Amen. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of His Holy Word. What is the worthy life? How do we live worthily? Worth may be defined as that quality of a person that lends to importance or value. Worth is the thing that's held in high esteem. It's the thing that we place before ourselves that we are all striving after, the thing that we deem worthy. Well, the philosophers held that the contemplation of the good was the worthy life. Worth was in your mind. It was in mere contemplation. Or others thought it was in the virtues themselves. So as they worked out their own life, their own moral life, that was a worthy life. So it was either contemplation or right action brings about your own worth. For others still, the worthy life was a life of ultimate pleasure. Seeking as much pleasure as you can, whatever you desire, you run after, that is your purpose in your life. Maybe for us today, worth is found in patriotic sacrifice, civil duty, or a quiet family life. Or maybe it's the endless pursuit of leaving your mark in the world. Whatever that may be, worth is defined in our culture to be something subjective. It's, it's in yourself. You are the one who defines what is worthy. You run after whatever you feel or desire. But how do you view the worthy life? What is the worthy life, a life worthy of the gospel? That's what we're confronted with this morning in this text. We are confronted with the true and living God who tells us what is the worthy life. That there is a life that is worthy. An objective reality and truth. There is a life that is of greatest importance that is to be held in high esteem. And Paul says that it's a life that's found in Jesus Christ according to the gospel. A life in Christ to be lived for Christ. 
Remember the book of Philippians. Paul is writing this epistle from prison, most think from Rome. He's been in chains for more than two years for preaching the gospel. He's waiting to be stand trial before Caesar, either to hear his verdict of life or death. But what was Paul's desire as he used himself as an example before in the beginning of Philippians? He says his desire was to honor the Lord, whether in life or in death. His great aim of his entire life was the advancement of the gospel for the glory of God in Christ. He actually rejoices in his imprisonment because he knows that the Lord is using his suffering for the good of the church and the glory of Christ. And he wants the Philippians in their own suffering He wants them, too, to rejoice in the Lord as they live a life worthy of the gospel. Earlier, as he thanks God in verse 3 for the Philippians, he is reminded that they are partners in the gospel, that they have shared in the benefits of Christ. He says that they are partakers of grace, not only in the cause of Christ as they prayed for Paul, as they supported his missionary journey, But they too have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, have been united to Him as partners in the gospel. And so now He exhorts them to live by faith in the gospel. As we come to verse 27, and it's an interesting transition here. He, He begins this transition by saying, only, only let your manner of life be worthy. That phrase only, it zeroes in and focuses in on the top priority and principle of our life. The chief end of our life. The chief end of our life is to give glory to God. And so this phrase here really summarizes the rest of the letter. As we are to let our conduct or manner be worthy of the gospel. And so then he works it out in the rest of the letter of what that actually looks like. How do we live a life that is worthy? What is the conduct that we are to live for the glory of Christ? In fact, that word for conduct, it speaks of the nature of our citizenship. He speaks about living as faithful citizens in the kingdom of God. It can actually be read this way. That let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel. It was the philosopher Aristotle who spoke of citizens fulfilling their civic duty as a life worthy of the republic. That you were to live your life in the society and fulfill your life for the good of the people. That it wasn't just about you. You were to use your resources, gifts, and whatever God has granted For the good of the whole. Well, the Philippians here, they were under the power of the Roman Empire. They had Roman citizenship, and they that citizenship would have shaped their identity, their values, their worth, living in Rome. But Paul here, when he speaks of this principle of how they are to live, they are no longer to be shaped by the values of Rome and that citizenship. They're to be shaped by their citizenship in the city of God, according to the gospel of Christ. Paul appeals here to their greater citizenship in the city of God, in the kingdom of grace, so that they would let their conduct be worthy of the kingdom of God and of Christ. 
So, brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ Jesus through faith, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We are now citizens of heaven, as Paul will say in chapter 3 and verse 20. We are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. And so how are we to live as citizens of this kingdom, of the kingdom of Christ? Well, one theologian says that the city of God in our citizenship is constituted by the gospel. So that it's the gospel that shapes all of our values, our worth, and our identity. The gospel that saves us now shapes us for how we are to live for Christ. Therefore, we are urged today to live out our heavenly citizenship by the values and rule of the gospel. There is a worthy life. There is a life that we are to aim towards and to live towards, to conduct ourselves by. It's a life worthy of the gospel. So we're going to consider what this life worthy of the gospel looks like from this text. And we'll consider five points this morning. Firstly, the worthy life is a life of faith in the gospel. It's a life of faith. Paul exhorts us that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side or really together for the faith of the gospel. He defines the worthy life according to the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So the life he exhorts us to live is a life of faith in the gospel of Jesus, which includes both the act of faith, believing itself with the act of believing, and that which is to be believed, the content of the faith. He speaks of the act of believing here in verse 30. He says, it's been granted to you, been granted to you to believe in him. He speaks of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That by the sovereign grace of God, they've been gifted faith to believe in this glorious gospel, to trust in Christ alone. And so he's exhorting them that the life that is worthy is a life of faith, a continually trusting in Jesus Christ. He wants them to look outside of themselves, to look outside, to behold the glory of Christ and to trust in Him, in His righteousness according to the law that's imputed to us, to look to His death for the forgiveness of our sins, to trust in Him and His resurrection that gives us new life and even of His glorious ascension that we read in the Catechism, that we would see that He opens the way to heaven for us. He wants us to live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel. There is this faith. But faith always has an object. True faith has an object to be believed in. We don't have faith in faith. It's not enough just to have faith. Faith in what? Faith in whom? It's not just faith as positive thinking. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the gospel. And so this faith here, the faith of the gospel, really is the faith that Paul is talking about. He's speaking of the content of what we believe. As Jude says in Jude 3, the faith which has been handed down to the saints. That the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. In this faith, there's doctrinal truth, doctrinal content to what we are to believe. 
He says we are to strive for the faith of the gospel, which is the, the whole body of doctrine that is to be believed and confessed to be within the bounds of orthodoxy. Or to say it another way, it's that which is to be believed and confessed for our salvation. That we are saved by according to our faith in truth. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In a narrow way, we could say the faith is the gospel. Paul equates it in Galatians 1.23. He says Paul preached the faith he once tried to destroy. And the rest of the book of Galatians is that faith, the faith of justification by faith alone, the the faith of the gospel. And so he's telling the Philippians, he's telling us that we must continue by faith to lay hold of Christ in the gospel. This good news of our salvation. Continue to look to the triune God to see what he has done for us sinners through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the worthy life is a life that professes the faith of the gospel and now lives according to it. To live by faith. The faith that justifies is the same faith now that we lay hold of Christ for our sanctification. That our lives and conduct are always shaped by what we believe. How we live is is formed, it, it flows out of Really, our theology, what we believe, or the overflow of the mouth, or of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? It comes from within what we believe. Whether we believe the world's message, the world's agenda, whether we're guided by the the world and the decisions we make are from that, or we are guided and directed by the gospel itself, under Christ as King, under His gospel and His law. What we believe will be demonstrated in how we live. And so right living, which Paul is exhorting us to today, begins with right believing, right faith. What we believe. William Ames referred to our theology as the doctrine of living to God in Christ. It's a doctrine which is to be believed that will then cause us to live a certain way for Christ, for His glory. Or Paul, in chapter 3 of Philippians, he calls us to live according to the upward call of Christ. If we've been called through the gospel, he wants us to live for the gospel. And so, brothers and sisters, faith and practice are inseparable friends. They go together. And what we believe is the foundation then for holy living. Living a life worthy of the gospel. And so firstly, then, we must press on in our knowledge of the one true and living God. To press on in our faith and in our belief in the faith. What has been revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures. And so we see here that the worthy life is a life of faith. Holding to the faith of the gospel. Secondly, then, the worthy life is a life together in the gospel. It's a life together. The gospel is what unites us together in God through Christ. That all of us were created by God for communion with God and with one another in God. That is God's plan. That's what he's fulfilling in Christ, gathering the nations now through the gospel to enjoy communion with God and with one another. 
And so Paul wants to hear of the church in Philippi standing together in their faith in the gospel. He wants to hear how they are united in the same spirit, in the same mind, in the same truth of the gospel. Now this message of a life together, it's countercultural. It's countercultural, especially for us today where our culture teaches a radical individualism, a radical independency. What is the world's message? It's a world about self. Self-rule, self-promotion, self-help. Right? It's about isolation and being dependent. But what does the gospel teach us? The gospel teaches us that it's a life together, a life of being united in the church. Right? Think about the names and characteristics of the church. That the church is referred to as one body, one family, the households of faith, we are a temple being built up together. That the gospel unites us under one head, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we are gathered together as a particular local church to give visible manifestation of our faith. Even as Paul says in verse 1, to the saints there in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. This is a local church So our faith in Christ and our union together in Christ gives visible manifestation in our membership to his body in local churches so that we will live a life together for Christ. But as we are citizens then of the city of God, Paul is exhorting us to live as citizens, to care for the greater good of the community, to use our gifts and graces, to use what God has given to us for the whole to live as citizens of the kingdom of God and of Christ. During World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, any of you heard of him, a a pastor in Germany who actually remained in Germany to proclaim Christ, to care for his sheep, ultimately dying as a martyr, being killed even for his faith and standing firm as a pastor there in Germany. But as he was there, he wrote this treatise called A Life Together. He was exhorting the Germans to stand firm in the midst of of persecution. The the saints there who were gathered together in the church to remain together in Christ even as they come, uh, come against them. Well, in his exhortation, he says, One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. But the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. So we see people running for, for solitude without fellowship, and it leads to despair. Not only when in Philippi, Paul is exhorting them to be together. We are in that same danger of falling into despair without being united in fellowship. And the language Paul uses for remaining and standing firm in this is really a military term of a soldier before a charging enemy. So the church is to stand firm in the Lord and the strength of his might. But how are they to do so? As individuals? In my own strength, standing firm in the Lord? No, he says you do this together. By being united in local churches, that is how we will stand. That is how we will persevere in the day of trouble. This is how the Lord keeps us, through the means of grace, through His church. 
It says we're to be of the same mind and the same spirit. That our minds are to be held captive to the Word of God, ruled by the Scriptures as we sit under it together. We're to be of one spirit, united by the Spirit of God, so that our wills now are conformed to His Word. Living now to walk in obedience to Christ. Paul says something similar in Ephesians chapter 4 in the same context of walking worthy of the gospel, walking worthy of our calling. He says we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Brothers and sisters, our world, the culture, says that isolation is not only fine, it's good to be isolated. What do the Scriptures teach? What does the gospel, how does the gospel direct us? The gospel unites us together in Christ to live a life together. This is how we will persevere faithful unto the end. So the life that is worthy, the worthy life of the gospel of Christ is a life together as we confess the faith in the Lord Jesus. This comes to our third point, then how do we live the worthy life? Well, the worthy life is a life striving for the gospel. It's a life in faith in the gospel. Now we are to strive for the gospel. That is, we are not to remain static or passive. Paul says the Christian life is to be actively engaged in this battle, actively engaged in striving for the sake of Christ. One Puritan, Thomas Watson, he, he wrote a book said that, entitled Heaven is to be Taken by Storm. We read that the kingdom of heaven is to be taken by force, by, by violence. Heaven is to be taken by storm. That there's this spiritual warfare going on and we are to agonize like a soldier in war. That's the language Paul is using. Military language of agonizing in the Christian life for an end for the sake of the gospel. I've had the pleasure to travel to Rome with my family and to go see all the various sites in Rome. You see there the Colosseum or the Circus Maximus. And if you've ever been, it could be quite a solemn time to consider all of these various contests that went on there between the gladiators. And we like to think of it as a spectacular thing as they're fighting for, for fame in Rome or fighting for the peace of Rome. We see all of these Christians, they're being killed in this place. But Paul picks up in this language of striving and agonizing as a soldier, no longer for the sake of Rome, not for the Pax Romana or the fame in the arena. No, the Christian is to strive for the faith of the gospel. That is what we agonize towards. That is what we are striving to with this goal that the gospel would be proclaimed to the ends of the earth and that the truth of God would be maintained. That the Christian life is not to let go and let God. Passive. No, Paul says in chapter 2 of Philippians, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's this activity of the Christian life. And how can we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Because it's God who works in us. Both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. The sovereign grace of God in the gospel enables us to live worthy of Christ. To strive unto the end that the gospel would be proclaimed and upheld. 
You see, what is the goal of this striving? It's the faith of the gospel. Striving for truth. Striving for all of us together to be rooted and grounded in the truth. And all of us as members of the church are to strive unto that end. That the gospel would be proclaimed. Not all of us are called here to be ministers of the gospel. Not all of us are heralds of the gospel. We're not all called to go out into the world and and evangelize in the same way. There's a particular gospel ministry, heralds of the gospel. But if you are in Christ today, you are to be a witness of Christ. You are to use your gifts and graces for the end that the gospel will be proclaimed. Whether that's through our prayers, through our giving, our support. Whether that's just being a faithful Christian in the world. Whether it's being a mother who raises our children in the faith, we are to strive unto that end for the faith of the gospel. We are to be witnesses in this world, lights in the world, as Paul will say in Philippians, holding fast to the word of life. Brother and sister, are you striving for that end? Is that the goal? That is the worthy life. A life lived by the power of Christ and the grace of Christ for Christ. We are not only to strive for the proclamation of the gospel, but also for the defense of the gospel. We are to contend for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. But in the city of God and as citizens of that city, we do not fight with the weapons of the world. No, we battle by the spirit, a spiritual battle to pull down strongholds that our weapons are mighty in God to pull down strongholds and every lofty argument and every high place against God. But we do battle by the Spirit and the strength of His might. In the earliest 20th century, it was Gresham Machen who defended the gospel against liberals in the American church. He's the one who, who began with others. The OPC church began Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. Because they were standing firm upon the inerrancy of Scripture, the resurrection of Christ, standing firm upon the faith. Machen said that the type of religion which shrinks from controversial matters will never stand amid the shocks of life. In the sphere of religion, the things worth holding are the things about which men will fight. The things worth holding are things which men will fight. The things that are worthy the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the faith that we believe, the faith that has saved us, this is worthy of our fight, of standing firm in the truth that we profess. The world says we ought to strive for selfish ambition, worldly success, financial freedom, and the treasures of this age. But what does the gospel teach us? How does the gospel direct us to live? It says now we are to strive for the sake of Christ. Now we are to strive with this end that Christ will be honored whether by life or by death. To now live in Christ for Christ. You see, the glorious gospel of God saves us from our sins so that now we would live for Him. It now sanctifies us to now live in obedience to the law, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The worthy life is a life of striving for the gospel. Well, fourthly here, the worthy life is a life steadfast in the gospel. 
Paul tells us to not only strive, but to, to remain, to be steadfast. He sees that the opponents are coming against them. The same opponents that came against Paul and his chains are coming against the church in Philippi. And how are they to act in the day of persecution? They are to remain in the truth. And he says they are to in no way be terrified by their adversaries, which is to them a proof of their perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Think here of the audacity of Paul. He's in chains. He's been in some ways defeated from the world's eyes. He's locked away waiting to be put to death. And the audacity says we are in no way terrified by them. No, this is just a sign of their judgment, but to us, a sign of our salvation. He's courageous, he's fearless, he's bold. He's steadfast in Christ. And he wants them to follow the same. He wants them to be steadfast by the power of the Spirit. Many in Philippi would have remembered when Paul came there, when he underwent suffering for the preaching of the gospel. You read that in Acts 16 when he boldly preached the gospel and they were beaten for it. We read the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates tore off their clothes and they commanded them to be beaten with rods. They were beaten, their feet put in stocks for all of the commotion it caused for preaching Christ. But if you remember, what was the result there in Acts 16? The result was there, the salvation of the Philippian jailer and his household coming to faith in Christ. It was their salvation. They were rejoicing that they got beaten for the sake of Christ, for the salvation of sinners. The church is to be engaged in that same conflict with the world. If the world hated Christ, they will hate us. As we stand against the enemies of the gospel, the world, sin, Satan, even false teachers, Paul says we're not to be intimidated or terrified by them. The Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 2.10, he says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. It's through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, stand firm in Christ. Now we don't fear because we in ourselves have, have the strength. No, but he says to stand firm in the strength of the Lord, the strength of his mind. Right? We're to be like Joshua, what the Lord told Joshua as they went into the promised land. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you, and he will not leave you nor forsake you. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ told the disciples as they were to go to the ends of the earth. I'll be with you even to the end of the age. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That is the comfort. We can remain steadfast in persecution and suffering because it's the Lord who is with His church. His presence strengthens His people. In the world you will have tribulation, Jesus said, but be of good courage. I have overcome the world. That is our strength being united to Christ in His victory and the salvation we have in Him. And so the continual opposition of the gospel and hatred of Christ is just a sign of the judgment to the world. That's what he says, the continual lack of repentance, a lack of faith in Christ is a sign of their judgment as they come against Christ. But to the church, this is a sign of our salvation. 
if we persevere in the midst of persecution, if we continue to persevere in the face of suffering, it's a sign of the power of the gospel in our life, of the Holy Spirit who keeps us and preserves us unto the end. And he says, this is from God, that God would grant this salvation to us and grant to us a sign that we are being preserved unto the end. That's what he says in verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of the Lord. And so as God keeps us and preserves us, it is his work he began, and he will complete it at the day of Christ. But not only are we to stand firm in the face of persecution, we're also called to remain steadfast in the face of suffering. In the face of suffering. The suffering we endure in Christ for the sake of Christ is again assurance that we belong to the Lord. But Paul wants to comfort us. He wants to comfort the church in the midst of our suffering. And he says that this suffering is not a byproduct of chance, but actually a gift of God's grace. He says this in verse 29, For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but that you would suffer for His sake. Suffering is a gift of God. It's a gift of God by, by which God enables us now to depend upon Him. To no longer depend upon ourselves, but upon God who gives us His sufficient grace. Suffering is the means by which the Lord pulls us away from this world to lift our eyes above. It's the way in which He is sanctifying us and completing us that we would be like Christ. So that if we would be conformed to the sufferings of Christ, we know that we will attain also the resurrection of Christ. If we are united with Him now in His suffering, we know by faith we will be exalted with Him in glory. And so, brothers and sisters, suffering is a gift of God to us so that we would depend upon our God and be prepared for heaven. Now, through the gospel, our confession says that we are freed from the evil of affliction. Now, through the gospel, the affliction we undergo is no longer just evil from sin or the curse. No, we're freed from its evil to know our wise and gracious Father is using it for our good, namely to be conformed to Jesus. I love John Newton's hymn, I ask the Lord that I might grow in, in faith and love and every gift. It's a prayer, this hymn is a, a prayer of sanctification. I want to grow in Christ, I want to grow in my faith. I have weak faith, Lord, strengthen it. We, we've been there and as Christians we ought to be praying that. Lord, cause me to grow. But if you know the hymn, you You know the answer. The answer was that he was brought low to reveal the hidden sins of his own heart. That the Lord let the angry powers of hell assault his soul in every part. What was the answer to his prayer? It was suffering and affliction. He says he knew that this was the answer. That the Lord heard and answered his prayer to use his affliction and suffering for his good to humble Him, to sanctify Him, to purify our faith so that it would be demonstrated to be true on the day of our salvation. And so, brothers and sisters, the worthy life is a life of remaining steadfast in the Lord in the midst of persecution and suffering. 
that the Lord is with us to preserve His people. The worthy life is a life that stands firm upon the truth of Christ. Whatever the Lord brings to remain in faith in Christ. But if we stopped here this morning, if this is all we had to say about the worthy life, that a life is about striving for the gospel, remaining steadfast in the gospel, a life of faith, a life together. If this is all we had to say, you might leave here thinking that this worthy life is, a, is about just our own obedience to God. The worthy life is something that we muster up, that we are made worthy through our own righteousness. If that's all we had to say, we would think somehow we would merit our own worthiness before God. I'm just going to pull up the, my boots and try harder and continue to, to head towards Christ. But that's not all Paul has to say to us this morning as we read this text. No, Paul adds a key statement here about the gift of God. Which comes to our fifth and final point then. Fifthly, the worthy life is a gift from God. The worthy life is received. It's a gift received. It's a gracious gift to us. Now the world thinks that the righteous are worthy in God's kingdom. Right? The world says that those who are first are to be exalted. It's the successful who are made worthy. That's not true in the kingdom of God. No, the gospel is counterintuitive. The ungodly are justified in Christ. The unrighteous are declared righteous. The last shall be first, and the one who's humble will be exalted. That is the way of the gospel. Those who suffer now with Christ will be exalted with him. That's the way of the cross. It's a a theology of the cross. Now, this little phrase Paul uses in verse 28 ensures us that all of it is of God and and of His grace. He says here, and that from God. And that from God. A short phrase as we read it, you might pass over, but it has so much depth and meaning to. This encompasses the whole Christian life. The whole life that is worthy is a life from God. God is the source. He is the principle He is the cause of this worthy life. And so this encompasses all of our striving, remaining, our salvation, faith, and suffering. All of it is from God. All of it is from God who sovereignly dispenses His gifts to His people. That's what Paul says in Romans 11. All things are from God and through God and to God so that God would receive the glory from Him and through Him and to Him. It is from God. And so the life we live of faith in the gospel, it's been gifted to us. It's been granted. It's been dispensed to you. We didn't merit it. We didn't merit our own faith. It is a gift. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this faith is not your own doing. It's a gift. We've been saved. And this Salvation and faith is a gift to us. And so all of us here, we are unworthy in ourselves to draw near to God. We are unworthy in ourselves of the gospel of Christ. We are unworthy to merit any of God's blessings. 
we come here as unworthy servants, even after we've done all that we should and are called to do in obedience to God, we are unworthy servants. And yet the gospel makes us worthy. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ makes us worthy, worthy recipients, worthy now to live a life for Christ and by Christ. We are worthy in Christ. And so worth is not found in ourselves, it's found in Jesus. It's found in Him. In fact, Paul says here, for Christ's sake. Here we are to strive and stand firm for Christ's sake. Listen to Calvin, he spoke of this unmerited grace of Christ from this phrase. He says that he may intimate the more distinctively of God's grace. He says expressly, for Christ's sake. Or at least that they are given to us on the ground of Christ's grace, by which he excludes every idea of merit. He excludes all merit. Christ is the ground of all grace that we receive. All that we receive is in him, by his grace. There's no merit in ourselves. No worth is found by looking within. It's by looking to Christ, receiving it in Jesus. He alone is our righteousness, redemption, and sanctification. He is our all in all that we may be found in Him. It is Christ who has stood with us and for us as our Savior. It was Jesus who was of one mind and of one spirit with His Father. Jesus is the one who strove joyfully to endure all suffering in order to purchase our redemption. Jesus is the one who's truly worthy. The only one who lived worthy of the Lord. He is worthy in Himself as the divine Lord who has all glory and honor and worth in Himself. And yet He became a servant. As Paul will go on to say in Philippians 2. He took on our flesh that he would be a servant for our sake. And so, brothers and sisters, worth in the city of God is found in Jesus. It's found in him. Let us look unto Jesus, receive him, Christ, and all the benefits of Christ. The worthy life is a life that looks unto Christ, rests in Christ, and now is enabled to live for Christ. Let us stop looking to the world to find our worth, to be defined by the world and what the world says we how, how we ought to live. No, worth is defined by the gospel, by the Lord Jesus Christ. As we rest in Him and receive Him, let us now walk worthy of Him. And so, as citizens of heaven, our lives are to be shaped by the gospel itself. All of our values, our worth, our calling, our life, all of it is to be shaped by this glorious message we proclaim, the gospel of Christ. Let us continue to hold fast to the gospel, standing firm together by faith in the gospel, striving for the sake of the gospel as we receive it, as we receive the gift of the gospel. And so let us conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Let us pray.
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of your Son, for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator. We thank you for his sufficiency for us. That all of our worth is found in him, in the faith of the gospel. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is truly worthy, both in his divinity as God and yet also in his humanity as our mediator. The one who truly stood firm in the face of opposition, joyfully enduring the cross for our sake. We thank you, the one who strove to honor you in life and through death. We thank you for the one who truly lived a life worthy, that in him we would be accounted worthy of Christ. By your Spirit, Lord, we do pray that you would cause us to turn away from the world, to now be directed and guided and ruled by the gospel, so that we truly would let our conduct be worthy of Christ. May you, by your Spirit, sanctify your church, this particular congregation, to continue to stand firm upon the faith they confess that you would preserve them and keep them, and that they, Lord, would be presented blameless with great joy before the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ on that day. We thank you for the preaching of the gospel. We thank you that it is a means by which you grant to us the grace that we need to lift our eyes off ourselves up to Christ who is seated above. And so may the word that is preached bear much fruit in our lives as you are at work in us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.